two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi. You were here last Sunday. You can keep it going. You were here last Sunday. So they went and saw. We had that playing during meet and greet. It was about four in the afternoon. And we had everyone, like normal, come and sit down. And it wasn't until we were quiet that God's word started to come through. We could actually hear it. Jesus looked at him and said. You are Simon, son of John. That's just the reading of the Gospel of John. Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus and even in church, we come and nothing wrong with fellowship, nothing wrong with hugging and greeting one another. But we asked the question last Sunday, do you stop long enough to hear God's voice. Even in good stuff, serving and fellowship and worship, do you stop long enough in your life to hear what's been going on the whole time? Even the challenge, you know, we're supposed to get quiet and and even that 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 final 30 seconds or a minute of fidgetiness because we're just not used to it anymore and it's uncomfortable because we want to just go want to just go and 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 then we might be able to quiet our bodies down but our mind wants to go and it's a real discipline and even maybe a real challenge to sit long enough to hear God's voice. We talked last week, even in our quote-unquote quiet times, we'll read, then we'll pray, which usually is defined as talking at God. And as soon as we read and pray and talk at God, and usually that ends up with giving Him a request list. And at the end of that, we usually say, in Jesus' name, Amen. And in, in our mind, quiet time's done. So I get up and go. I'm done with quiet time. And the funny thing is, I shared last Sunday, oftentimes when you say in Jesus' name, amen, and, and you get up and leave, God's about to start talking. Where'd you go? I thought this was quiet time. In this series on pressing on, we began at the beginning of the year, we're now at this place of... of Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They won't follow the voice of a stranger. They'll follow my voice. And we said last week, you know, in, in, in this culture, at night, all the various shepherds would come into a common sheep pen in the village and all the sheep would sleep 
in the same place and they would have a, a gatekeeper and all the shepherds would go sleep where they were going to sleep. And in the morning, each shepherd would come one at a time, stand outside the gate and do his unique call. And when he did his unique call, only his sheep would leave the pen. And the question for us last week and even in, into this Sunday is, do you hear his voice? And last, last Sunday, if you look in your notes there, we, we looked at so many, there are so many competing voices, right? In John 10, we, we, we use that. And then we looked at there's Satan as a competing voice. He's the father of lies. There's the world and its value system. There are straight up false teachers that want to deceive you. Ourself, right? Other people, even in the church, well-meaning other people that may actually, in their desire to encourage you, may actually be giving you uh, unbiblical direction. Right? We saw uh, in Matthew, right, Jesus was going to say, hey guys, here's what's about to happen. And he says all this stuff that's about to happen, including his death. And Peter says, he, he, the Bible says, Peter pulled him aside and rebuked Jesus. He said, no way! And again, giving Peter the benefit of the doubt, it was because he loved Jesus. didn't want to see Jesus die. didn't want to see Jesus suffer. Right? And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan! You're thinking of it in human terms. Your mind is on the things of man, not God, Peter. And Job's friends, right? They, they start off good. They come and, hey, Job, let's just sit. We're going to sit with you for seven days and not even talk. And sometimes that's all people need when they're going through a trial or, or something, you know, a circumstance. They just need someone to sit and be with them. But then Job's friends crossed the line and they misrepresented God. And in the end of Job, Job's three friends get a direct rebuke from the Lord. So even sometimes we have these competing voices from other well-meaning people that aren't necessarily giving you biblical truth. You have to be careful, right? And then the last one there, fear, worry, doubt, the past, self-criticism. So what are the voices competing in your life? We all would love to say, Oh, Jesus, yes, I want to follow your voice just today. I want, uh, you're the shepherd. I'm your sheep. I want to just follow your voice, Jesus. And that, uh, No one in here would not want that, I'm assuming. But it, the first step, one of the first steps, you've got to acknowledge. What are the competing voices in your life? And if you want to know what they are, just look at the choices you make. What's driving your decision making? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it self-criticism? Is it anger? What are the competing voices? What are the things that, that, that oh, oh I, just, I just want to hear God's voice, and yet there's always that one. There's always that two. And, 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 and it drives us, and, and sometimes it's frustrating. And so we saw we've got we to identify them. We have to identify them, right? Turn to Matthew 14. Another wonderful story of someone 
trying to understand and discern God's voice. The Lord's voice. Right? Matthew 14, verse 22. So last Sunday was all about identifying, acknowledging and identifying. What are the competing voices? What are the competing voices in your life? Okay? Not that you don't want to hear God's voice, not that you don't even want to obey God's voice, but there are just so many things going on. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. This happens on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by hillsides. And if you're wondering why, this, why these professional fishermen were so scared, what happens? Certain times, the winds come down off the hillsides onto the Sea of Galilee, and it gets to be pretty rough. Big waves. Have you ever been in the channel when the waves kick up between here and the islands? You know, some days you just don't go out because it's so bad, right? This is what happens on the Sea of Galilee. The winds come down the mountainsides and they get some big waves going. So Jesus puts his disciples in the boat. About 3 a.m., they're out there getting tossed, right? Tossed around, right? Verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. So he's kind of cruising out there, right? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Jesus says, hey, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. This morning we're going to focus on that little phrase, if it's you. If it's you. How many of you would, would, would really desire to hear God's voice and know God's will? Right? And, and sometimes... We're like, well, how do you do that? What, what does that mean? And, and this is, this is very, it's very challenging, especially in the church today, and, and this is where I want to encourage you, okay? There's a couple of extremes as we move forward in this that we have to be careful of, all right? One extreme is way over here, what we call mysticism, okay? And, and mysticism is really based on feelings, this sort of sensory thing. I want to hear God's voice, and so it's all about feeling, what I feel, okay? And so we get kind of mystical, and, and, and you, can, you can kind of open the door to some, some really interesting things, right? When it's all about trying to hear God's voice through feelings and mysticism. The other place is where you kind of have a reaction to that, and you're like, very academic, and it's just studying, and it's the Greek, and the Hebrew, and it's all formulaic, and it's just right? And you kind of toss aside all the supernatural, okay? 
So in between those two, we have to understand that as you sit here, we believe there is a supernatural element to being a believer. Amen? It's supernatural. And what do you mean by that? Well, there's a third person of the Trinity called who? And where does the Holy Spirit live if you're a believer? That's supernatural. Can I fully understand and comprehend that? Nope. But the Bible teaches it. So do you understand? There is a supernatural element. There are elements when you're in a relationship with the God of the universe, your finite mind is not going to fully grasp, but on the authority of Scripture, you receive it and you act upon it. So you've got to guard against mysticism and touchy feeling and all feelings based. And then you've got to guard against becoming so academic that you get the Holy Spirit and you just give Him the boot because it's all about ac- academia. And in between, you find this wonderful, glorious, dunamis power where you walk in the power of the indwelling who? Holy Spirit. Okay? So there is a supernatural element to our faith. There is. Okay? In fact, I will tell you this. To live faithfully the Christian life in your own human effort is impossible. You want an example? Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. Wait, Jesus, you died while we were yet sinners. That's the amount of love you had for me. And you call me to love others in that exact same way? Yup. How many of you would say, that's impossible? It is. Except for the indwelling which makes it supernaturally possible. That's what we have to understand. There is a supernatural component to walking with, with our shepherd, to following his voice, and yet, as we want to discern, because of all the competing voices out there, there are some practical things we can do to discern, even with our finite limitations, that it's the Lord that we're hearing, that it's the Lord's will that we're following. Turn to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Very important voice, that verse for us. If we're going to hear God's voice, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Sometimes people come to faith in Jesus and you know what they do? They just, I'm just walking with Jesus. Don't need to study. I'm just walking with Jesus. No. We don't check our brains out at the door. We don't just doop de doo around as a believer. Right? Oh, you Christians, that's just blind faith. Oh, you Christians, it's all about a crutch. Oh, you Christians, you don't even think. No. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful then how you live. You know what that word, be very careful, means? It says this, Walk intelligently and not in ignorance. Walk intelligently and not in ignorance. One verse says, Walk circumspectly. 
Right? Some versions walk circumspectly, which means diligently. One definition is this. One who is walking circumspectly is one who is surveying all circumstances and possible consequences before acting or deciding. We're to be wise. We're to walk circumspectly. We're to use our intelligence in following God's voice. Amen? Okay, this is not a church where we ask you to check your brain out at the door. Right? No. Bring your brain. Please. Muy importante that you bring your brain. I mean, and, and, and it sounds funny, but, but it's so true. In 20 years of, of ministry, the church is so feelings and touchy-feely that we don't need to study the Bible. You just tell us what to believe, Pastor. I don't need to do it on my own. And, and, and it's become so hand-to-mouth feeding and people don't want to diligently study. They don't want to use their minds. They just want to be told and told and told. And you know why that's dangerous? Because false teachers... If you're not able to, 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 to intelligently use your mind and study the Scriptures, you are so vulnerable to somebody who sounds good, looks good, very charismatic, and says, Hey, let me tell you what it really means. Wink, wink. And you're like, oh, that sounds... I never thought of it that way. Maybe he's got a point. I never thought of it that way. So we're to walk... Intelligently. Okay? And, and then that includes trying to hear God's voice. Trying to hear God's voice. Now, the other thing we have to guard against is kind of what I call the, the, these really big experiential things that you hear about where somebody heard God speak to them. You ever hear any? When we say, well, God spoke to me. We have to guard against that. Because sometimes when you hear God spoke, someone say, God spoke to me. Inward, you're like, he don't talk to me like that. How come God doesn't talk to me like that, Bill? I went somewhere and everyone was saying how God speaks to them. I ain't never heard nothing, Bill. <laughs> Something wrong with me? Right? We, we, we hear these grand testimonies of God speaking. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Honestly, you have to ask yourself, you have to ask that person the good questions. What do you mean by that? Was that a voice? Was it? Okay. Now, here's the supernatural part. Does God supernaturally communicate with people? He, he, he's God. He can step in to the natural order. You know, what the, you know what a miracle is? It's when God steps into the natural order of things and does what he wants to do. That's a miracle. So God... Because he's God, can at any time he wants step into the natural order of this planet and say, Hey, Wes, I'm talking to you. He could. It's in the Bible. Is that normative for us today? Is that usually how God speaks? Hey, Wes. Didn't happen to me this morning. Right? I mean... So how does God speak to us and, and, and what can we do? We've got the supernatural element, but we have to understand, guys, here's the thing. If you want to hear God's voice, revealing God's will, ultimately, it's right here. First and foremost, God speaks and has spoken through His Word. Through His Word. 
Okay? This will keep you safe. It's when we close this and start to drift over here to feelings and mysticism and all of that, in spite of God's truth, revealed truth, spoken word, as the prophets wrote down, then things can get a little bit sketchy. Okay? So what are some questions we can ask ourselves? What are some principles, right? These are some key principles kind of in, in the realm of the supernatural as we're walking between the supernatural and natural world, trying to do our best. What are some principles to help us discern God's voice? All right? Number one, it's in your outline there. Turn to John 8, 47. You've got to ask yourself, am I saved? Am I saved? John 8, 47. Look what Jesus says. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The, reasons, the reason you do, not hear what, uh, you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let me repeat that again. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Right? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You can add this verse in your notes. I, this one just came to me this morning. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Very important. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? If you want to discern God's voice, if someone were to come to me and say, can you help me? I'm trying to discern God's will, God's voice in my life. First question I would ask, well, are you saved? Do you know him? Because according to these verses, especially what Jesus says, if you want to hear, you've got to belong to Him. And this is where, okay, I'm, I'm, let's just say it. This is where in the church gets a little uncomfortable. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm not a believer? Are you accusing me of not being a Christian? I've been in church for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you on the authority of Scripture to examine yourself. It's very important. And as a youth pastor, this is one of the biggest struggles I had. Because as a youth pastor, you generally deal with kids who were brought up in the church in Christian homes. So they know what to say. They know what to do. They know how to go to camp. They know how to go to youth group. But they may not be saved. And how do I know that? Because of what I hear they're doing at Nordoff. And what they're doing when they're not in youth group and not in front of the pastor and not at camp. But they know how to talk to talk. They know all the Christianese. They know all the programmy stuff. And you know one of the challenging parts that I've had to deal with with parents who make me on the unpopular list is to ask the parent to, to really honestly, objectively separate yourself from your child and say, is my kid really saved? Well, I know he, he, but he came through Awana, and he went to, you know, he went to, you know, 
all-stars and, and, and they did, you can't get through your program. And I'm like, I know. They know all the Bible verses. They got all the little sparky jewels. But are they saved? You're wondering why, why they're making the decisions they're making? Maybe it's because they're not saved. Maybe you have to have a real talk with them and, and have them examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. And why is that important? Turn to 1 Corinthians. Put one book to your left. 1 Corinthians 2. Starting in verse 11. For who among man, men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Basically, if you're not saved, these verses say you're not going to get it. Not only are you going to have a, not really understand it, it's going to be foolishness. You ever try to share your faith with an unbeliever and they just laugh? Oh, dude, you're crazy. You believe that stuff? That's nuts. Well, there you go. 1 Corinthians 2.11 kind of gave you a warning. So you have to settle the issue on the very first issue in your life, in my life, and when you're talking to someone, do you know, do you know Jesus is Lord and Savior? Have you settled the salvation issue? Okay? That's the first step. That'll keep you going. Okay, look at the next one. Am I walking in the power and under the control of the Holy Spirit? Turn to Ephesians 5.18. A couple of years ago, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks on the Holy Spirit. And I think down the road, we're going to have to circle back around and reteach on the Holy Spirit. Okay, because that's a supernatural person indwelling you. Right, Betty? Where does the Holy Spirit live? In you. The Holy Spirit is not Casper the ghost. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not a vapor, not a mist. The Holy Spirit is a person. A person. The third person of the Trinity indwells who? Okay, if you're a believer, point to where the Holy Spirit lives. Right? Look at Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, we spent weeks and weeks. In a nutshell, that word filled is not like going to Chevron. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. You don't get filled and then deplete. That word filled is the word controlled. What they're saying there is, you know, kind of like when you get drunk, you kind of get under control of other things, right? The alcohol. What they're saying, the word picture is, hey, be continually 
under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's all that means. Continually, 24-7, we are to be being filled. That's what it literally, be ye being filled. It's a continual verb with the under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all that means. So here's the thing. In Galatians 5, it says, hey, you know what? Walk according to the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay? So here's the thing. Number one, if you want to hear God's voice and you want to know God's will, are you saved? Number two, are you walking under the power and control of the Holy Spirit? Are you yielded to the third person of the the Trinity in your life? Because see, here's the thing. If you're not, then you're just doing what you want to do. You're living according to the flesh. Countless counseling issues come down to this. Who's on the throne? In the church, with believers. Okay, the first issue settled. Yes, you're saved. Second issue, are you walking under the power and control and authority of the Holy Spirit? See, if you want to hear God's voice, if you want to discern if it's God's voice, you've got to put Him on, on the throne. Otherwise, it's your voice you're listening to. It's your voice. That's what come, it, it, it's frustrating sometimes when people come in for counseling because initially they want to hear and they want genuine help, but as soon as I open the Bible and it doesn't jive with what they were hoping to hear, they turn off. They shut down. Oh. And you know what I found in many cases? They knew the answer already. I know. I know. But I just can't give it up. Okay, at least we're honest now. It's not that you didn't know. It's you're struggling with who's, who's sitting on the throne. It's an issue between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. That's what's really going on. Yeah... Can you help me there? Yes, I can help you there. Okay? So are you, are you saved? Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay? Very important. Number three, Scripture. Am I submitted to the authority of Scripture and do I know how it applies to my situation? Verses very familiar. Turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right, and then keep going to your right. Couple books. Go to Second Peter, Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter. So Second Timothy tells us all Scripture is God breathed. Look at Second Peter, verse one. I mean, sorry, chapter one, verse twenty. Second Peter one twenty. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke 
from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those two verses have been foundational to this church since day one. We believe this is God-breathed. Because it is God-breathed, we believe it carries all the weight and authority of who? God. You've got to settle that issue. If you want to hear God's voice, you've got to settle what the Bible is. God-breathed. Okay? Why is that important? Turn to John 17:17. 17, 17. How many of you would like to be set apart, sanctified for God? Anyone? Who wants to be sanctified? Which means set apart, holy for God's use, right? Okay, John 17:17. 17, 17. Absolutely important verse we got to know. Jesus is praying. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by by the truth. Your word is truth. If we're in the sanctification process, being made more and more Christ-like, being set apart, being made holy, according to Jesus' own words in John 17, 17, what is the means that God will use to sanctify us? Which is what? Your word. Is truth. See, this is where I'm saying to be more Christ-like is not about feelings and mysticism and, and all these experiences. Nothing wrong. I, how many of you enjoy being here? There's good feelings that follow, right? Yes. I'm not saying we're going to become, you know, we're not going to become like that. But we have to understand right here, this is God-breathed. It wasn't man. First Peter says, hey, they wrote as the Holy Spirit carried, along, carried them along. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. This, that means this, the Bible, is God's means of you becoming Christ-like. I don't know how to complicate it for you. Sometimes pastors are good at complicating things. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to be set apart for God's use, that word sanctified is where we get the word holy. If you want to be holy, set apart for God's use, the means is His word. That's why we teach His word. My opinion is not going to get you there. If I teach you if we learn together what God's Word says and how to apply it to our lives, what's going to happen to us? According to this, we're going to be what? Sanctified. More and more. This is the means. This is the means. That's why we open it every Sunday we're together. This is the means, right? Okay? Acts 17.11, we won't turn there. The Bereans... Right, you can look at the Bereans, great example. They, they, they were in the synagogue, they listened to Paul, and then it says they went home and diligently examined to see if what Paul was saying was true. The Bereans, great example. You can look at that verse when you get home. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved that you handle the Word of God accurately, rightly. There's, there's a responsibility, guys, we have to handle this. You know, you, you went through, you jumped through hoops to learn how to drive a car. Right, Betty? Right? 
You, you learn how to drive a car and you don't want to, you want to be safe and you want to, right? You, you learn to handle the car correctly. We need to learn to handle this correctly, accurately. Okay? And that takes some discipline. Oh, discipline. Discipline? I thought coming to church was disciplined enough. And then you're going to tell me, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. This only begins. There's a whole lot of verse. This, this study right here take you two years if you really wanted to. I'm like, man, all of these are sermons. I got like two years worth of sermons here, right? Are you saved? Are you spirit-filled? What does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Okay? And we're going we're gonna to have to wrap it up and we're going to pick this up next week on the back page. You've got to settle these issues. Because I would guess that everybody in here wants to hear God's voice. Everybody in here desires to know God's will. Everyone in here desires to be more Christ-like. Amen? Then you've got to be able to work this We've got to work down this list. Because there are so many competing voices and there is so much falsehood and deception even in the church that you've got to go, how do, how do I stay right where I need to stay, Lord? That's why we're walking through this. And why is this important? We're going to close. Turn back to Matthew 14. We're going to close with this. We'll close with it next week. Back to the story of Peter. Matthew 14. Start in verse 25 again. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, crying, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Why is it so important that we understand this in our desire? See, I love that when Peter says, if it's you, because there's a difference between faith and recklessness. Years ago, we were at a church in San Diego and they were doing some big moving project to, to, to lo- relocate the church, the, the church, which is going to be like a $20 million project. And I went up to their finance guy that they had brought in after a presentation And I said, what's the difference between faith and presumption? You see, we're called to walk by faith, but not necessarily be reckless. Not necessarily just jump in there and presume. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, you want to do some checks? Some checks. It's important. We've got to be wise. We've got to use our minds. Why? Because Jesus told him to get out of the boat. And in the few weeks ahead, we're going to ask ourselves, what's your boat? If it's you, God, tell me to come. Daryl, it's time to get out of that boat. What's the boat? What's the safety? What's the security? What's the thing that you're so scared of, letting go of? That's your boat. Start to think about that. What's your boat? And so, to the best of your ability, we're going to walk down this list because some of you, by the end of this, come, Cindy, come. 
And Candy be like, glad it's not me. I'm staying in the boat. <laughs> you go, Cindy. <laughs> Yay, Cindy. I'm in the boat. Here's the thing. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? I won't forewarn you. You got to get out of the boat. See, if you want to be more like Jesus, that means if this is like your, your current status of like Jesusness, and you want to be more like Jesus, what do you have to do? And you want to be more like Jesus and this is currently where you are? See, if you want to be more like Jesus, you're always getting out of the boat. You're always getting out of the boat. So to the best of our ability, we're walking through this this week and next week to discern if it's Him. See, four and a half years ago, I met many of you and re-met many of you at Cindy's house. And it grew from like 13 to like 40. Every Saturday night, a Bible study. And then I'm thinking, Lord, are we supposed to do more than a living room Bible study? There is no verse that I could go to that said, Thou shalt start a church. I don't know. And so I had to walk through a process. And then I had to get out of a boat. With all of you with me. (laughs) Come on, we're going. (laughs) We all deal with this. And my heart for you is that there's a joy and an enthusiasm and a sense of adventure that together we continually get out of the boat. Amen? And next week you're going to see the importance of the people sitting around you to help you get out of that boat. Those people around you are vital. The next step you're going to see. The body of Christ is absolutely essential to help us discern God's voice. And little by little, you know, some of you are just like this right now. You're in the boat, but you're testing the water. You know, you're like, okay, Jesus, you're going to hold me? Is he going to hold me? We're going to get there. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you want us to know your will. You want us to hear your voice. And in fact, you told us very clearly in John 17, 17, that the means of becoming more Christ-like, the means of knowing your will, is your voice through your word. So Lord, help us to... uh, to hear and respond to what you've said this morning. Because we all have these boats. We've all got things in our life that we cling to for safety and security and comfort. And even though we intend and maybe even truly desire to follow you, Jesus, it's at these moments where you call us to get out of the boat that we, we just want to know to the best of our ability that it's your voice we're hearing. So we thank You for the steps, the things we've learned this morning. I look forward to next week. And and then, Lord, I look forward to just celebrating transformation as we help one another get out of the boat and follow the shepherd. So we love You. We, We now prepare for communion, Jesus, in remembrance of what You did for us at Calvary. 
in many ways, Jesus, in remembering that you got out of the boat and came to earth in accordance with your Father's will, you said, yes, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, we uh, hold these cups in remembrance of you and also use this time of reflection. Are we saved? Maybe someone here needs to settle that issue before communion. Been coming to church for years. Best way you know how this morning. Jesus, I submit I yield. I trust you with my whole being as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died for me. I rest in your grace. Trusting me by faith. Maybe somebody here has been on the throne of their life, not walking, yielded to the Holy Spirit. And this will be a time of confession and repentance. Maybe somebody here has walked away from the authority of Scripture in their life. And this time of communion is a time to come back and submit to the Word of God. Knowing that we are sanctified by truth and Your Word is true. So we give you this time of communion and reflection now, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, we thank You for Your shed blood and Your broken body. Thank You that we are saved by grace through faith. So Jesus, we uh, take this communion now in remembrance of You and just reaffirm our, our conviction that You are Lord and Savior and our desire to hear Your voice and to follow You daily. Amen. <laughs>